And the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. Well, I think the prophet Amos is pretty clear here. Seek good, not evil. Hate evil and love good. What's the problem? The problem is we sometimes like to justify ourselves when we choose to not seek the good. And when we do that, sometimes we're doing it for our own benefit. Well, Jesus reminds us of this as well today. Seek evil. Seek good, not evil. How does he do this? Well, Jesus is pretty rough on the rich man today. This man, this poor man, he is obviously a very faithful person. He respects Jesus' teachings because he reverently kneels before Jesus. He says he has been following all the commandments his whole life, the commandments of Moses. He's been strict about that. He, and he's asking legitimate questions. He's not trying to trap Jesus like the Pharisees are doing. No, he's, he's asking really good questions, seeking the good news of salvation. And it says that Jesus loved him, but it wasn't enough for some reason. It just wasn't enough. Jesus tells him basically, oh, just sell everything you have. Give it all to the poor. But this was too much. This was too much for this man. And he went away grieving. And I wonder, I wonder what he did later, though. Did he give up on Jesus? Did he, did he pray for help to understand this really tough advice? Did he think about his giving practices, his generosity? Who's to, say, who's to know? I mean, we can't really say. We don't know what happened to this man once he went home. Peter, though, feels pretty good about himself. Peter feels good about himself and the other disciples because when everyone is perplexed and puzzled by this new word from Jesus, he says, hey, we did it. We did it. We dropped everything. We left everything and followed Jesus. What's the problem? But still, this is something that is hard to make good on. Give it all away? What does Jesus want from us? We have to live, we have to survive, and we have to take care of our families. Giving it all away doesn't seem like literal advice. And while some who have gone into monastic situations have taken this gospel literally, I bet those who claim to be the most devout among Christians are not following this advice. I have to admit, I, I've been looking on uh, streaming platforms that I have at home, and I kind of find these documentaries on, on Christians who end up doing all these bad things. And... <laughs> And so I've, I'm watching these documentaries on Christian leaders who have, have gotten these big, big, you know, mega churches or mega congregations, and they have some gimmick that, that they sell really well, and they make a lot of money, and then, or 
they claim that you're going to hell and that you're going to burn in hell unless you, you know, give all, a lot of money and all of that and only to be brought down later by, by this corruption and this greed. I bet they aren't giving it all away. And those among us who think that they are Christians and call themselves the true Christians, they're not giving it all away. This isn't one of those passages that Christians like to self-righteously adhere to. But we have to remember, we have to remember that God came into the world in the incarnation, the person of Jesus. Material is not a bad thing. We live in a material world. Just saying, this reminds me of the iconic music video of the 1980s where performer Madonna danced and sang to her song, Material Girl, Living in a Material World. And she had diamonds and posh in abundance, reveling in the luxury and flaunting the focus on possessions and all the nice things. Such was the 1980s, with the lifestyles of the rich and famous and shows like Dynasty offering glitz and abundance. This 80s decade is sometimes called the me decade. What do I need to do to make me happy? And there was a lot of this new age stuff coming out then, more and more self-help gurus, people promising enlightenment and the happiness of me first, me above all else. There were self-professed enlightened spiritual gurus back then who claimed that they could be God too if they were enlightened enough. And so could you. So could you. And the spiritual bookshelves and bookstores exploded with the power of me. Oh, I was there, front and center, the power of me. What do I need to do to make me happy above all? But that's not the material world of an incarnational spirituality. An incarnational spirituality like the one we believe in is one where the material, the material is important, but not solely for the me of it, but to recognize the material as gifts from God who has abundantly provided for us. So Jesus is not only focused on a spiritual quest, he is focused on the material reality of what's happening, what's happening to the people out there on the ground. Jesus tests our limits as we seek discipleship. How are we attached to our possessions. Not that they're bad, but how are we defined and ruled by them in such a way as to not do, as Amos says, seek the good? Are they stopping us from seeking the good? Jesus says, it will be harder for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get to the kingdom of God. Not because being rich is bad, this rich ruler whom Jesus encounters today is not evil. It's just that often, if we aren't careful, money can corrupt and rule our actions in negative ways. Not always, but this, this has been true in every age, whether it is out of fear of not having enough or just plain greed. So Jesus is pushing the rich man today to force him to look at how his possessions may actually be possessing him. 
With wealth, often there is power. And with power, there is a great responsibility. A responsibility to be just. And that's what the prophets like Amos are talking about. Because the temptation to feel that because of our possessions and wealth, we are somehow more important or deserving of God's blessing can be a trap. Do we put profit before people? Now, we saw this all week in the news this week with the expose of how social media platforms may not be working for the common good and actually harming people and being aware of this harm, knowing that they are harming, especially young people by how these companies target with their algorithms. And I was struck how some members of Congress pretended to open up accounts. They pretended like they were 13-year-old girls and they opened up an Instagram account and they said that they were interested in dieting. And all of a sudden, after a short period of time, the algorithms picked up on that, and all of this uh, horrible and harmful dieting techniques, extreme dieting techniques, were being sent to this supposed 13-year-old girl. And there were weight loss techniques and body shaming content going down a dark hole of stuff that would make any young, impressionable 13-year-old girl feel less than and unworthy and not good enough. Being a teenager is hard enough. But they were also targeting people with purposely divisive content because that keeps users addicted to the platform. Dark content. And as one whistleblower said this week, fear and anger keeps people on the platform longer. So this means more money to be made, putting profits before people. Never mind that this will lead to a whole generation of insecure new adults with new anxieties to bear. Profit before people means we are possessed by our possessions and not living in the material world that Jesus is about. A material world where all persons are cared for by the mere fact that we all exist in the same world, we all breathe the same air, we occupy the same space. A material world that is so important that God came down to infiltrate. God came down to infiltrate the matter to be actively involved in this life where matter matters. If, as we benefit by harming others, we say, well, that's not my problem or tough luck, then we are not living the life of freedom because we are bound up and we'll, you know, we will not be able to get into the kingdom of God, which is right here in front of us as well, because we wouldn't even recognize it if we saw it. It could be right here in front of our face, but because we're so bound up in all this other stuff, we don't even recognize it. Jesus is pointing to this. I've often said that if hackers and really clever people who devise and implement genius schemes, if they put their genius into doing good instead of evil, I mean, if they worked to build up an economy of God, an economy of good in the world, where would humanity be? Solving problems, finding worth in creating new ways to sustain life in, in ways that expand our hearts instead of just our wallets. 
look, we, we, all, we all want good portfolios, and we all want to retire well. We all want to put our kids through college, our grandkids through college. We want to buy a home. We do, we do. And we all benefit from the choices that others make that may not be for the good. That is just the way the world works and that's the fabric of our existence. But what if we could find other ways that were just as profitable? Why is it either or? It doesn't need to be. We can do good things and be profitable too. And some people are. Because nothing is impossible with God. There's so much God-given creativity and brains and talent all around the globe. That is the question we can at least ask. That is the economy of God that says we can because Mark says all over his gospel, nothing is impossible with God. We, we just have to have the will to do it, to scheme for the good. Scheme for the good. Don't waste precious time precious, precious time on this earth devising deceit. It's squandered time that may feel good in the immediate, but the stain lingers. Scheme for the good. It takes a little more effort and may not get us where we need to get to go as fast as we would like, but might it be just more fulfilling? Might it be more life-giving? Amos says, seek good and not evil that you may live. Living means, truly living means that we exist in joy and peace and community and love. Someone else once said, as we accumulate riches, we are tempted to trust in our possessions and our powers of acquiring them rather than in God for our, our ultimate security and comfort. So this story today is just another story in the toolkit of the good news that says, trust God. Trust God. Trust God to get you to the good. Let go of fraudulent things. Scheme for the good. It sometimes seems that when we read the Gospels and we hear these Gospels, these very difficult Gospels, um, that to be a true disciple of Jesus, it just seems uh, impossible, that we have to be perfectly holy. Well, if we wait for that to happen, we won't get very far. And if we take this passage literally, it seems like we have to leave our families, our livelihoods, give up everything that is dear to us to follow Jesus. But take heart. What we are called to do as disciples of Jesus is to grow in love so that our sphere of influence becomes greater than just the well-being of ourselves and our families, no matter the cost. We give up the possession that comes from only focusing on our own well-being and not thinking of the greater good. And that is what we are asked to leave behind. That is what we are asked to leave behind when we follow Jesus. Our vision just gets wider and, and broader. And as Jesus says, for mortals it seems impossible, but not for God. 
With God, all things are possible. So in the words of Paul that we heard today in his letter to the Hebrews, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, and I would add trust, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen.